Hey, Ken. Hey, Justin, how's it going? We played good video game. Would you like to talk about it? Yes, that's right. The podcast this week is sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. Oh no, God! You cannot. No, I'm just kidding. We, we played myself. Resident Evil. Uh, we played Resident Evil Village. Uh, that's a good game. Fuck yeah, we did. I've been looking forward to it for a while. I've beaten it five uh, times. I just beat my third. I, I'm gonna do my fourth probably later tonight. I'm gonna do a speed run. Uh, it's really good for that. It's a great speed game. Uh, it helps that you can skip cutscenes, unlike Seven. That's right. pretty good. It's a good thing they did. Um, I don't want to talk like a ton about it because, like, you know, oddly enough, like for a Resident Evil game, there's actually a lot you can talk about as far as the story goes. Usually, yeah. that is not the case. Yeah, one thing. <laughs> but um, one big up I'll get to this game is like for probably one of the first times in the entire franchise, it actually has like a story that's like worth going through and not just like basically is a cheesy backdrop for some fun gameplay. Which is usually yeah. what Resident Evil stories are. Sevens was close to that as well, but it was still uh, pretty ridiculous. This one's also pretty ridiculous, but it, it has like you know some good story moments and good story beats in there. It's it's better than the average uh, you know wow what a mansion Resident Evil uh, right. story you right. got. But um, I don't want to spoil any of it. Maybe next week we can go more in depth. Yeah, I'm down um, to do spoilers next week, but. That sounds good to me. Um, I don't know. It's real good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of other thoughts about it. I think um, this game really... Uh, people have pop talked about it up and down, but there's a lot of parallels between Resident Evil 4 and this game, which is fun. It's cool. I'm glad that that exists. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to remake Resident Evil 4, apparently, when they basically... like This is more interesting. Yeah, where it's something that's like clearly inspired by it, like even, a successor. Even down to like, you could shoot the birds out of the sky and they drop money, like like Resi before influenced. It's it's wears it on its sleeve, which uh, I like. I I think that's great because there hasn't really been too many other Resident Evil games like Resident Evil Four. Because like five and six kind of go a little too hard in the other direction. I mean. Yeah, the the a lot of the nice little things about Resident Evil 4 are missing in 5 and 6. Uh, there's a merchant in this one. It's the Duke. It's great. I'm super glad that that's a thing that's back. The inventory system that was fantastic from 4 is also back. It's uh, less aesthetically pleasing to look at, but it's still there and good and nice to have. Uh... And also the the kind of like, you know, there are moments that are very actiony and straight up like an action game instead of a horror game. But I think the thing it retains that Resident Evil 4 also retains is it still has a creepy atmosphere to its level design and its creature design that I think five and six lacked to a degree. Yes, and I'm super happy about that. And legitimately, one of the scariest things, that pro maybe the scariest thing in like all of Resident Evil, in a, in a particular mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a section that felt a lot more like something. Uh oh, uh, or like a Silent Hills kind of horror, and I was like, that's yeah. pretty cool because Konami's not doing anything with that. Right, it's, it's <laughs> like it's like Remy a lot of PT. It was really sweet.
what I'd like what I like to describe this game as it's a fucking literal theme park of survival horror. Yeah, that's a good way to I, describe it. Like literally you're going to these different attractions and they all have like a different theme and like different things that you do. And it's all yeah. super fun. There's the creepy castle, the haunted house to walk through. There's the literal There's haunted the, house. The escape room. Yeah. There's the uh there's the water park. Yep. <laughs> um, and there's uh, whatever the fuck the fourth segment is. But uh, it's, they're all fun. And yeah, sure. They're all fun and unique. And they it, the game has a great pacing because of that. Because like you're, you're getting different uh, distinct brands of horror as you go through it, which is pretty great. Yeah, I enjoy it quite a bit for that. It, it, it gives you... It's refreshing going through each part. It's not... It doesn't get repetitive. It keeps it interesting enough the whole way through. And it's not a long game, which, like, no Resident Evil game... No Resident Evil game is long except six. Yeah, the disc... The and discourse about that is dog shit. about this has been pretty dumb. Uh, Resident Evil games should not be long. Resident Evil games should not be long. They're designed to be played multiple times. Uh, the earliest ones were designed to literally be played multiple times, or else you don't even know what's going on in the story. Uh, like, yeah, like you know, with multiple characters and stuff. Uh, and there's always uh, different scenarios and pathways to take. Not not so much in this, but there's a lot of like side quests, I suppose, that you could miss in Village that you could definitely you know find on a second playthrough. That's a little more expansive. Uh, I think it's a great game to replay several times. Uh, it has great harder difficulty modes that you can unlock. Um, there, there's a couple sections that are a little bit bullshit that I can't really get into, but um, for the most part, it's cool that those are there for the people that want more of a challenge. Uh, just it's overall. A That yeah, and overall it's like it's just you know combines what worked with seven and what worked with four into a kind of a new thing, and I like it a lot. Yeah, that's that's I'm in full agreement with you there. Um, it's my personal game of the year so far. I haven't been able to play anything like Returnal or anything like that, but goddamn, this game's good. This game's real fucking good. Play it. Well, this game lets you save, so haha, that's good. <laughs> fucking got him Get I'm sure Returnal is good and I'm sure it'll be good once they let you save it even better once they let you save it Right. but uh you know I don't have a PS5 because nobody has a PS5 so like I, I don't know I'm right. supposed to play Returnal <laughs> exactly I'll wait till like next year nope. the inevitable $50 price drop on the console happens maybe probably not but then the games will be cheaper. Because of the that. shortage, I don't know if that's going to happen as frequently as it, like right. as soon as it does with other console launches. So, right, we'll have to see. Oh well. But anyway, yeah, uh, check that out if you haven't already. If you if you're someone that knows us, you probably might have already have been heard us talk about it. So, oh well. Yeah, it's good. You knew it already. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, we got a we got a movie packed show. Let's uh let's get it on the road, my guy. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Every single body. That's a lot of people. Welcome. I, I'm greeting the whole planet. I doubt many of them listen to this, but all right. Ah, fuck. Probably, like, probably like five people. Welcome to the Get a Jump Show. That's again. Hey, hi, hello. How you doing? I am Jub. That's and, him. And today we're gonna run this actually like we've done with a couple episodes in the far past, like almost two years ago, past where. We're packing two. We're packing two into one. We're doing a double banger here. Yeah, I figured uh, we've had some issues on my end this time, lol. Yeah, we had a major uh, technical difficulty with Gen's computer. Um, it is now fixed, but we had to miss. It uh, wouldn't turn on. It does it now, though. Yay! It's on right now. Hell yeah, dog! Love to see. It. <laughs> now, I will apologize today for uh, possible fan. And animal noises from the outside. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm recording this with a fan and a window open because I have to. It is because very it's hot. Fucking like it's like fucking it's like 85 it, it's, or no, 90 it's, or it's, some bullshit. Where I'm at right now, it's 88. I don't think it's quite that it's here, but it's not great. You know, it's starting to cool off a little bit because we're recording in the evening, but it still sucks. Uh, <laughs> but um. We'll get through it. I'll be so yeah, today is a bit of a... I'll yeah, go ahead. The audience, I'm not wearing any clothes. Why would I? <laughs> well, you it's know... Hot. I don't live alone. So... I guess you technically don't either, but... No, but, I mean, the person I live with would Different mind dynamic with you and your girlfriend than me and my father. So... Eh. Yeah. Anywho... <laughs> today's yeah today's like a double feature episode because uh i figured since it's been so long we should just go ahead and not make the snyder cut its own episode like we were discussing we should just shove it into this one and get it out of the way that way uh next week hopefully when we have a new episode we'll actually be starting a new uh series we're gonna do a wheel spin at the end of this episode that should be fun um so yeah, we should probably just get right into it. Yeah, hit me up. Uh, what? Give me. We're some gonna finish shit. off the Miyazaki filmography. Yep, with a fucking. Uh, it's banger. pretty good. With a fucking. It's pretty banger, good. dog. Yeah, the wind rises, banger. which is uh, hey, it's a pretty good movie right there. Um, movie fucking slaps. It's not my favorite, Justin, but it is almost. It's almost. It's the best one. No. It's not. <laughs> well, but we'll, I'll, we'll get I'll talk about that in a little while. Okay. This is the 11th and for now final film from legendary director... Hayao Miyazaki, The Wind Rises. I say for now, he is making a movie called How Do You Live, based on uh, a book 
like I believe a children's book in Japan yeah. yes. called How Do You Live? Uh, that will probably almost assuredly be his final film uh, because he is old. Uh, in fact, that's why many thought this movie was good. Final film because he retired after this movie. So it probably like, you know, by all rights, it was supposed to be his final film. Right. But it, instead it is not. And like through the subject matter and like, like the way it's like told or portrayed, it, it feels like a final film for like a director with a story career, you know? Yeah. Um, it's one of the things I uh, love about it so much. It's it has a lot of like, you know, it fully embrace that's been present in all of his work. But now it's like the biggest focus. And that was, you know, airplanes flight. Uh, yeah, that's the big thing here. Uh, so at first glance, the what this movie's all about seems pretty straightforward. It's a biopic of a man named Jiro Horikoshi. Now, he was a Japanese aeronautical engineer. He designed many fighter planes, most notably the Mitsubishi A6M-0, which was used by the Imperial Japanese Navy during World War II. Um, despite being employed by Mitsubishi, a company that was directly developing planes to be used in the war by the Japanese military, uh, Horikoshi was very much against Japan going to war. I have a quote from him here. Uh, when we awoke on the morning of December 8th, 1941, we found ourselves, without any foreknowledge, to be embroiled in war. Since then, the majority of us who had truly understood the awesome industrial strength of the United States never really believed that Japan would win this war. We were convinced that surely our government had in mind some diplomatic measures which would bring the conflicts to a halt before the situation became catastrophic for Japan. But now, bereft of any strong government move to seek a diplomatic way out, we are being driven to doom. Japan is being destroyed. I cannot do anything other but to blame the military hierarchy and the blind politicians in power for dragging Japan into this hellish cauldron of defeat. End quote. Uh, so this is, you know, in this movie, Horikoshi is portrayed as a man struggling with a desire to design beautiful airplanes. But they're destined to only be used for war. And I think that portrayal is somewhat accurate. <laughs> considering what you can easily look up about this man. Right. Um, it's a fascinating, pretty bittersweet, dark story of someone who just wanted to make some cool fucking airplanes. But, you know, unfortunately, the country he lived in only wanted to use them to uh, bomb people. Right. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. But, uh... Dan, is it... I, I I think Miyazaki was the only person who could tell this story properly. If I'm being straight up. Nobody, I, mean, nobody, I don't think anybody else would tell this story, if I'm being honest. Uh... Yeah, but, I mean, it's kind of a fucked up one to go into, right? And yeah. and we'll get into, like, some of, like, the... uh the takes people have about this movie that I don't necessarily agree with in a little bit, but um, I would kind of disagree that it's like, um, 
I, I wouldn't call it like a very accurate biopic, unfortunately. No. Um, now, that's like that's kind of the case with every biopic, <laughs> whether it's a great one or a bad one. Um, I guess like the accuracy is kind of irrelevant in the quality of the movie that gets made. Like it depends, <laughs> but I, I still, uh, I have a lot of trouble, uh, like with why Miyazaki decided to, like, I understand why, but the the other half of this movie is very much a different beast altogether yeah uh half of the movie is about the life of horikoshi the other half of the inspiration for the wind rises is that this is partially an adaptation of a 1937 japanese novel called the wind has risen by hori tatsuo Uh, this novel is about a man taking care of his wife who has tuberculosis and he stays with her at a sanitarium until her death uh, the the novel's semi autobiographical, as Hori Tatsuo himself went through that very experience with his own wife. Uh, now the story of the wind rises. Uh, sorry, the book "The Wind Has Risen" ends with the main character deciding to keep on living after his wife's death. He you know decides to endure through the pain, uh, through the love that they shared. Uh, it's directly uh, in the movie as well, basically. It's it's a motif used throughout the story. Uh, the wind is a motif used in both stories to describe things. And, and, and it even takes a uh, firm, actual uh, effect on the plot itself at one point. The wind does a thing yeah. that it shouldn't be able to do. Uh, the ending revelation is also in the wind rises. Uh, so that's kind of interesting because none of these experiences are something that happened with Jiro Horikoshi. Uh, instead, Miyazaki basically decided to come up with the idea for two very different, albeit very emotionally distressing films and just shove them together at high speed and just see what happens. And it's kind of strange. It kind of works. It works. I think it works very well. Um, But it is kind of strange that he chose to do this because I I don't know how uh, if, if any surviving members of Horikoshi's family feels about it. Cause they're like, that's not how mom died or, or like any of that kind of shit. Like, yeah. I don't know <laughs> how anyone feels about this other than, you know, me, I guess. Like, I think it was good. Um, maybe he could have more accurately told that story and went more in on the, you know, the actual life story of Horikoshi, but he still crafted a pretty great, pretty dramatic, pretty fucking emotionally devastating movie. Yeah, that it's the reason why I say like this is something that like only Misaki would want to do and is also the perfect person for the job. Um Yeah, I don't think anybody would have come up come up with that crazy idea, first of all. 
And then, um, no, it's kind of out there to just do these things, right? And the same movie, just because. But like, <laughs> like, yeah. but like, for example, let's take something like, even though I still think it's one of the greatest anime movies ever made, let's take something like *Grave of the Fireflies*. Right? Um, yeah, that movie is an emotional mess. It, it, it it's like specifically just spends its entire runtime just destroying you, and like. While it's like really good, it yes. doesn't make for a good viewing experience. This stitched into this movie is a plethora of like wonderful, beautiful experiences um, that I think help ease the tension quite a bit. Um, and it, it, yeah, that's true. There, there are there are moments of like levity in this movie. It's not full on non-stop relentless like existential horror right <laughs> like it's um it is very dramatic and it is very serious it's not like a comedy but there are you know moments particularly like uh probably my favorite stretch in the film where he's uh courting his soon-to-be wife and that german dude is there uh like yeah. <laughs> there are moments where the movie kind of uh slows down a bit and becomes a bit more of like a hangout movie like uh and about and like more of a chill fun time than than you would expect from this material right that we're discussing yeah and i think that's great um it, it adds it just like it adds a level of like the differing emotional response um i think typically and like kind of my issue with grave of the fireflies is that like I think if a movie pegs you and beats you down with one emotion the entire time, it kind of gets stale. Um, like, I, maybe I don't want to feel like shit for an entire two hours. <laughs> like, I, I guess sure, but I definitely think movies like that have their place and have like a well, point. Yeah, no, no, they, ha they have their uh, merit. Like I said, Grave of the Fireflies is still incredible. Um, but I like the diversity that this film offers. And I think it. I think only it her out. in, yeah. Grave of the Fireflies. I have not seen Grave of the Fireflies. Um, I need to, and I, I'm definitely going to on my own time take a look at other Studio Ghibli movies after this. Okay. Um, I would definitely there's watch a lot that. that are worthwhile. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking about that. Uh, probably the other films by Takahata, like uh, My Neighbors, the the Yamatas, and uh, Princess Kaguya which was supposed to be paired with this in a similar double bill fashion. Like, uh, uh, Totoro was double billed with grave of the fireflies, which is fucked up still yeah. to think that that was what they chose to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is any, that's anywhere near as bad as that. No, uh, yeah, I, I guess it is like, I, it's not, but, um, they had never done that since. And, I, I believe Takahata has passed away, so they're never going to do it again. Uh, I believe Kaguya got delayed, and this came out earlier. Was the only real reason why that didn't happen. Uh, it's no big deal, you know. I don't think double bills are that important. It, it's just a cool little uh, tidbit in history that Totoro came out next to the horror that is Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> right. Remember. Totoro could have chosen to prevent World War II, but chose not to. Kids. <laughs> anyway. <Jeez>. Uh, <laughs> so, 
if you if you look into the history of this man Miyazaki, it becomes a little more clear why you know with this being supposedly his final film, why he would choose to simultaneously explore um, the story of Jiro Horikoshi and a fucked up love story involving tuberculosis. Uh, Many like, you know, much in the same way that uh, the wind has risen is semi autobiographical. This has a lot of elements of Miyazaki's early life that feel deeply personal. Yeah. Um, so Miyazaki's father was the director of Miyazaki Airplane, which was a company that made rudders for Japanese fighter planes used in World War II. Uh, that, coupled with the lasting traumatic impact of a three-year-old Miyazaki and his family having to evacuate their home after the 1945 bombing of some. Utsan, man, I'm good at pronouncing things. I was far away from my computer and couldn't see the word. <laughs> Utsonomia. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, if, the, if this is your first Miyazaki movie, um, let me tell you, his other movies have anti-war messaging as well. It's like his most primary theme besides look at that airplane and look at that food. Right. Uh, is that war is bad. Um, <laughs> like, and, you know, I, I don't think it's much of a stretch for Miyazaki to see the life and regrets of somebody like Jiro Horikoshi and, and identify them with, with them in his own way because of his family's past and because of what he went through in the war uh, early, early on in his life. Like, he saw the horrors of it firsthand. And that coupled with Miyazaki's mother suffered from spinal tuberculosis for nearly a decade of Miyazaki's early childhood. Uh, She didn't pass away due to the disease, but it clearly judging from the rest of his work left a lasting impression on him. Obviously tuberculosis is a very prominent plot point in the wind rises, but, but you can also look at things like, my neighbor Totoro, where, you know, the mom is staying in the hospital and the kids are stressed out because of it. because They can't see their mom, uh, you know, and, and even like stuff like, you know, the lepers and Princess Mononoke. Like there's there's a lot of elements of. You know, disease. And the horribleness that can happen to people. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, hidden what, what, away in the corners of these usually more uh, childlike and wondrous movies. Yeah. Uh, well, not but, always, but often. I think he does know. a great job of, like, giving, like, people who are affected by illness, like, dignity, though. And, like, you could tell that that com- probably yes. comes through with this experience with his mother. Because, like, when you, when you, you know, have that, that kind of interpersonal thing with somebody you love going through something, like, something like that. I, I have personal experience with something like that. Um, where somebody, you know, somebody in your close family is suffering from something like that and they're very sick. Um, yeah. It's, it's sometimes, you know, you see it sometimes that people just like have people who are like sick or diseased or whatever. And they're just like pure suffering and stuff like that. I mean, like, look at the, look at the lepers from Mononoke, for example, like 
they're yeah they're, they're people they're, with they're a purpose somebody they're dignity. usually right they're usually portrayed in other media as just you know pathetic and uh, uh, incapable of doing anything but in right. that they they have like jobs and a, and a point to their existence and it's it, an interesting right layer to that movie which it has many god that movie's good but um that's also in this movie as well you yeah. know just so many layers of topics of discussion right and things that uh are deeply personal for him but i i think also like most people can like see and identify with in their own way hmm. yeah i like i don't know i think it's really cool it, it, miyazaki does a lot of things that like not many like directors like or like writers or whatever think of doing and like i i really do appreciate that like all, all of the, yeah, all the little too. things like that shine through so hard in his films, and like it's it's what makes he has his such work a, so special. Yeah, he has such a distinct style and 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 voice and point of view that like it's it's impossible to mistake his work for another creator. Yeah, like you know you're watching a, a Miyazaki movie when you're watching a Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I, I I think like the the way the way I've like been seeing it like since I've seen it, is, like, I think The Wind Rises is, like, the culmination of that. Um, yeah. This is the most distinctly Miyazaki film, because it's so focused on all of his regular tropes, um, and it plays into them so hard and makes an entire plot out of it instead of it being an element. Um, yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. This is probably the most Miyazaki Miyazaki movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> it has the, the things that... Uh, traumatized him but also the things that he loves in it as well uh you know there's a guy that got his start drawing airplanes and other vehicles and such and he couldn't even draw faces at first but eventually found his own style uh and man like that that had to be like one of the things that convinced him to go forward with this was like man i get to draw a lot of airplanes yeah, <laughs> that'd be that's that's gonna be sick. <laughs> like so know. many airplanes. Oh, uh, there's a lot of airplanes in this. Um, oh wait, in this movie about planes, right? So this was also a manga series first. Uh, the Wind Rises. He originally intended it to only be a manga, and he actually wanted his next film to be a sequel to uh, fucking Ponyo of all things. Um. But producer Toshio Suzuki convinced Miyazaki to instead adapt The Wind Rises into a film. Uh, he was initially hesitant uh, because he thought the material would not be suitable for children. Uh, Miyazaki changed his mind when a member of his staff pointed out that children should be allowed to be exposed to subjects they are not familiar with. Yes. Um, which is pretty neat. Um, I always think about um, I don't even remember who. Somebody in my family one time told me uh, that the movie Up, while it is good, should not begin the way that it does with, um, you know, that death early on in, in Up of the main characters, like uh, right. the wife. And uh, I don't know. I very much disagree. And I agree with this sentiment that, like, you know, 
I, I think treating kids with kids' gloves, as it were, isn't always the the, the way you should go about it in media. Um, I think challenging them with art is more interesting and maybe more beneficial in the long run. Listen, like I think it's incredibly important. I and, and like shit, man. Like half half of the media I watched when I was growing up was just selling toys, and like yeah. And like I think I think children's films is like a great place to like be able to to do those kind of like bring up those kind of challenging themes. Like even another great example is like Inside Out, right? It's a movie that's about yeah. processing emotion, which like nobody talks to their kids about. That's such an adult theme. But like Pixar mm-hmm. did such an amazing job to like break that down into into something very digestible. And like I, I and, and like not only are exploring those kind of themes refreshing for kids' films, I think that it's also important. Um, yeah, I really think so. And so, like, I, I think Miyazaki like does a similar grade of work, where like he does present things in like a very digestible manner for kids, but like he also like you know his his themes are not easy most of the time. You're talking about like most of the time no. there's like very serious anti-war themes and themes about illness, and like I, I think it's super important. Kids experience this stuff all over the world. It's not like you can't hide from it. These are very real experiences that people have. Yeah, and I think I think trying to just like cower and hide from it and only make like super flashy, happy-go-lucky shit to sell toys is like, you know. Very corporate of you, I guess, but not uh, you know, not good for the kids. I mean, I, that stuff definitely has its place, you know. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that every piece of media should have like, you know, a huge, big, world-shattering, life-changing point to it. No, but it can. But still it explore. is nice, you know. It yeah, can, it like can still explore no, things while being a children's like being a piece of children's media with the same those same yeah, kind for of sure. like you know that that flashy happy themes and stuff that like you expect from a children's film. You can have both. Yeah, can, this is a case where you can have your cake and eat it too if you play it correctly. Exactly, and like you you, you see it like Pixar plays it correctly most of the time. Ghibli plays it correctly a lot of the time. And like when you when you have the talent and you put the work in, like you can make it happen. You just need a yeah. good, you just need to tell a good story. It's digestible. That being said, um, I definitely don't look at this as a children's film. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is a children's film either. I think it'd be much. I think this film's much more much more challenging for kids to process overall. Well, I also think its themes are more adult in nature. Uh, and and its story feels more written for adult minds. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say that like a kid should not be allowed to watch it if they're interested, but you know, uh, it's it's definitely not a my neighbor Totoro kind of uh, thing. You know. <laughs> Listen, man. Even though I shouldn't have watched it, I sure did enjoy Princess Mononoke when I was like eight. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. Like- <laughs> Uh, Miyazaki also said, uh, one of the, he saw a quote from Jiro Horikoshi that kind of just cemented, uh, his desire to make this movie. That quote was simply quote. All I wanted to do was make something beautiful End quote. 
And that makes sense yeah. <laughs> that, that that line would kind of like be like, okay, we got to make this movie. Because uh, it is a fascinating little piece of history that, uh, you know, even though it's not presented in the most accurate manner of a biopic, is is still an interesting story to look at that, you know, more people should know about. Yeah. Um, I, I like, yeah, I, I think it's it's a super fascinating story, right? And it kind of tells you, like, kind of tells you, a, like, like that, you know, not all the people that, like, have created some awful, like, the things that led to some awful things in this world are bad people themselves. Uh, you know, the world is very nuanced. Yeah. And, like, I think it's, you know, people need to understand that nuance. I think it gets lost in the weeds sometimes. I sometimes. Do, yeah, most of the time. <laughs> this, this, this film is a great example of that, I think. This is like this movie spent a lot of time showing you that he's a like a really nice, good-natured person, and yet his his ideas got used to kill a lot of people. Yeah, and that's like you know not something that's exclusive to him in history. Right. Exactly, particularly you know specifically <laughs> with World War Two, or just throughout all history. But yeah, World War Two has a couple notable examples, like right. the one you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so we should actually talk about specifics here. Um, Josby, I think this is like your favorite animated movie ever. Uh, if not movie, I'm not entirely sure. It's not my favorite Uh, movie, but it's my favorite animated movie. I'd say if you break it down to that category, I would put this at the top. This is up there for me. I, I have a couple issues with it that you may not agree with. Uh, we can get to that when we rank Miyazaki movies. Uh, because when I say issues, I don't mean issues that are very of consequence normally. I, I would recommend this movie to most people. Uh, I, you know, I, m- my mom is not someone who watches anime <laughs> often, but I, I, I gave her this movie and said, this movie's beautiful, please watch it. And she did. And she was like, oh my God, that was a great movie. You know, this is, I would recommend it to anybody. It's a fantastic movie. Just like, that's how you usually but do. Like, I, I do have a couple there. issues that, like, would say, I would say it's a little short of the best from Miyazaki. And that's about all I would say. Okay. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, just, like, little things. Like, the way, like, when he's sitting there, like, designing things, right, and drawing. Like, just the, the attention to detail, the fluidity of motion. Well, he's yeah. doing it. it. It's like one of the most, if not the most, well animated movie I've ever seen. Just like it's yeah. so fucking well done, and like this. Ghibli's like, always been good at that shit. Yeah, but so like as time goes on, it gets a little easier to do that kind of stuff too. So like they're fucking like as far as the animation goes, they're firing on all fucking cylinders on this one. It's. Well, I think that as far as the animation goes, the most impressive stuff is definitely the dream sequences with. Yeah. uh Caproni and his planes and his fantastical plane designs and they're you know they're like walking on top of the planes and yeah. looking out over at the sky and like god this movie is gorgeous and expertly well animated um and just the every single little detail on those planes are done so well um 
you know, other studios would probably cut a couple corners, even the best of them. I don't think Ghibli does. <laughs> and that's at least not on this fucking movie. Well, yeah, well, Miyazaki has a, you know, and often he's criticized for it, and it has merit, where he is, like, really, really hard on his team to make sure they yeah, get every detail correctly. Um, I mentioned it before, like, the thing about somebody sitting down and, like, all that stuff. Like, his, his attention to detail is incredible, for better or for worse. Yeah, well, see, that's interesting because um, there's a character in this movie that uh, makes me wonder whether it's supposed to be a little bit like him. <laughs> um, yeah. Whether it's an, a favorable portrayal or not, uh, there's his hot-headed boss, uh, who is it's probably based on, on a real person, but, um, you know, it makes me wonder <laughs> just a little bit uh, if that is kind of how Miyazaki actually is, if that's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek little kind of joke or not. Not sure. But certainly, there have been reports that he's a bit of a, you know, he's a very hard uh, worker, and he expects a lot out of his employees. Yeah. Um, you know. What's that word? That they say in video games a lot. Crunch. There's huge yeah, crunch in animation. It's really yeah. bad. And like, <laughs> I will, I will go out and say it that Miyazaki is a big proponent of it. And like, I guess like you, you hit deadlines or whatever. But like, man, come on. I think I think he's also part of like an older work culture where that was like, especially in Japan, where that's still normalized. Yeah. He certainly strikes me as somebody who. If you were to ask him about it, he would probably say there's no other way to get this done. You have to sacrifice part of yourself to do it. Uh, he's probably one of those people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. So. He, he definitely is. And like I said, <laughs> a lot of it, it's a cultural thing, too, right? Um, it is, so yeah. Japan, Japan is definitely, uh, overwork. yeah, the, the workforce of Japan at least in the old, uh, you know, generation's Even time. now, like, it's still really bad. You, yeah. You, you see stories all the time of people, like, not even having time for, like, regular relationships because they're, they're just overworked. Yeah. And, like, it, it's, it's really sad. It's not a way that people should live. Yes, I agree. And, like I said, like, like, like much as I love his work, Miyazaki's a proponent of that with his studio. And like, <laughs> well, I mean, look, we we heaped a lot of praise on him, but he's not a man without criticism. Right. Like, like nobody is. There's, there's, you know, there's that stuff, and then there's like, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the time his son's Ghibli film premiered, and Miyazaki walked out of it. Yeah, and when asked about it, he said the movie had like no emotion and he hated it or some shit right. <laughs> like it's like the harshest evilest shit i can imagine uh, i mean he you know he probably would use it a different way like it's like his criticism is like tough love so that it makes his kid be better next time perhaps maybe but like you know it feels harsh yeah, and very. and certainly harsher than most american uh families would be uh 
So th- there's a portion of it that's cultural, but there's also a portion of it that, like, you know, feels like it could just be how Miyazaki is. He could be a huge asshole. I mean, we don't know, really. We, we just watch his movies and go like, oh, ooh, pretty. Like, you know, <laughs> we don't know. But, like, you know, damned if I'm not, you know, I, I respect the shit out of his work. Right. And uh, I'm so happy that I watched all of it uh, for this dumbass podcast we do. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. What's your favorite bits from this shit? Um, the things that, like, get me the most about this film really are the little things. Um, like I said, just, like, when he's, like, sitting down and sketching. Um, like, the, the fantastical shit's fun, but they're actually, like, my least favorite parts of this movie. Um, yeah? I fucking love those parts, though. They're gorgeous. They're great to look at. Um, and it, it, like, it, it helps a lot with, like, motivation and stuff like that. But, like, I think also, um, the real beauty of this film, like, comes out, like, when it's quiet. And, like, g- like, great examples when he, like, like, the, the scene, the small scene where it's at night and he, like, tries to get the, the food to that, that family. That, that yeah. kid that's sitting there and then like you get the like illuminations of light and everything like that and how fucking gorgeous it looks and everything and like this small little emotional moment it's like yeah that's an interesting little moment that has no real no real point to the narrative it's just right. a thing that happens uh and it's interesting because it's a bit of character development right you know just pure character development that's it you know it's it's a guy who tries to always do what's right and it feels like that time he tried and it didn't work it just didn't work it just didn't take he offered that those starving kids some food and they were like they had a bit of stranger danger and they ran away from him and he was you know somewhat disappointed by that yeah well and he kind of gets him in like such a like yeah isn't this weird headspace right it's gonna start with something like like man like man this country's kind of fucked right now isn't it yeah, it's an interesting little moment that, you know, that that family doesn't come back later. Uh, that moment is never discussed again. It's just a little moment. You know, if someone else was in charge of this movie, it might have been cut by the studio because, well, clearly it doesn't belong. It doesn't move the plot forward. Right. But moments like that, I think, are necessary and kind of beautiful in movies. I, I love little the kind of things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I love those. Like it, it's it helps you tell a full story, um, especially when you're like doing like a half biopic <laughs> like this is. Yeah, because um, it, it's this movie is about this guy, so like, right? It's, it's not like it's not about anything more fantastical like like a lot of Miyazaki films are. Um, it, it's it's not super like crazy like that. So adding more moments like that, like really bring it out. Right. The most fantastical this movie gets is with its dream sequences, but those are kind of seamlessly woven into the narrative itself and presented in a way that it's up to the audience's interpretation. What is up with those dream sequences? Uh, Cause Caproni, who is a Italian airplane designer, uh, is dreaming about his airplane designs, and then Horikoshi shows up in them. 
because he has the same dream to make beautiful airplanes. So they kind of just, I guess, keep showing up in each other's dreams. But there's a couple moments where, like, Caproni just talks to Jiro. Yeah. Like, outside of dreams. Uh, like, he's just like, is the wind rising? And is it still rising? And, like, Jiro's like, yes. But no one in particular. And it's up to you. What the fuck's up with that? Right, it <laughs> it's all real uh, metaphorical and uh, fantasy. But uh, it's kind of fascinating and neat. Oh, it wouldn't be a Miyazaki film with a little bit of, like, fantastical grandeur, right? Yes. <laughs> it's just like... There's got to be something to it, you know? This is arguably his most realistic film. Uh, I would say so. For no, sure. I don't even think arguably. I, mean, I, I don't is. know. I, I'm trying, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> like, it's not arguable. It's his most you know, film, for sure. Every weird thing can be uh, excused by it's it's a dream sequence. Um, the sound design in this movie is really interesting. Is it just me or does everything sound like. Like a lot of sound effects sound like it's just people making the noises. Am I right? Mm hmm. Am I crazy for thinking that I looked up whether that was actually the case or not? And I can't really find out why. And granted, I don't actually accurately know what 1940s and 1930s or older airplanes sound like. Yeah. But like genuine, genuinely speaking, a lot of the airplane engines sound like people just going like like making making noises with their mouths. Uh, And it's interesting. (laughs) I don't know. Just had like a weird like. You know, b- blends in with the dream sequences and the fantasy vibe, right? Of the movie, right. I I think. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Like, that's an interesting. That's an interesting idea. I didn't really think about that at all while watching this movie. That's really fascinating. Weird. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just crazy for hearing it in my head or what. But um, I also really love the soundtrack in this movie. Gorgeous, all yeah. Miyazaki Gorgeous. films have a, have a great score, but like uh, this one, oddly enough, has a lot of Italian music influence in it. Yeah, uh, probably to evoke the, you know, man who he shares dreams with in Caproni. But, you know, the majority of this movie takes place in Japan, so it kind of gives it a unique vibe. Yeah, it's like musically, the score doesn't fit the location, but thematically it does right yeah i think it's a wonderful score like as usual these are things that ghibli typically nails yeah that's uh joe joe hisashi i believe the composer for for all ghibli i think at least all miyazaki if not all ghibli um I, i could be wrong on that but i know he's certainly done some of the takahata films though Dude's a fucking legend. Um, he, I think he's he's definitely working with Miyazaki on his next movie because I, I wouldn't want anybody else. I wouldn't want to break up that partnership now. I, think, I don't think he would want anybody else either, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's perfect. It is literally a perfect partnership in the way that like their their creative visions kind of blend together so well. Right. I, I think my favorite chunk of this movie involves the strange German man. 
who in the English dub is voiced by Werner Herzog pretty fantastically. Um, did not expect him to show up uh, in 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 anything that we would watch for fucking Gen and Jub, but here he is, Werner Herzog. Um, I don't know. It's just it's really fascinating that just like this little like side story of you know our main character uh, meeting this German man in a place where you know he would not be, and they just kind of have you know similar opinions and and they have like a lot of like you know they have some conversations about the way the world is and the 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 future if things keep going because they'd have something in common where you know jiro is japanese and doesn't want japan to keep going the way they're going because he believes japan will blow up and this german man doesn't want germany to keep going the way it's going with hitler and stuff because he feels like it's just going to, you know, Germany's going to start trying to take over the world, which they did try to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just this fascinating little, like, you know, very different men, but very similar to a degree, meet and talk that uh, just was really fucking fascinating to me. Um, that man is introduced to the movie and out of the movie very fast. He's not in it for long, but he makes an impression. He's very memorable. You want to talk about this English cast? Yeah, hit me up with it. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have to step up from my computer for just a minute. But you just keep going. I, I am still listening to you. You just won't be able to hear me. Go. Okay, cool. Uh, your main character Jiro Horikoshi is voiced voiced by uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, uh, and he does a pretty good job. Um, now I, I have a side note here. I don't usually mention who plays who in the original Japanese version. And I do apologize for that, but I feel like it would probably increase the amount of, uh, research to a level that I'm not comfortable with. I uh, let alone increase the episode's length. If I had to like list, uh, the American voice actors and the Japanese voice actors and research those as well. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm not going to, I don't have a lot to say about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know who Joseph Gordon-Levitt is. If I mention the Japanese actor, there's probably a good chance you don't know who they are. And I'd have to go like, he was this person in this anime. Isn't that crazy? It would probably just be a lot of that. So for the most part, I haven't done that. But for this, I'm going to talk about it because the person who voices Jiro in the Japanese version is really fucking interesting to me. And that's because it's Hideki Anno. Yeah, that Hideki Anno. There isn't another one. <laughs> um, the creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, now, Anno does not seem to have many acting credits. Damn, I didn't know that's crazy. Which which makes this role stand out to me in a big way. Um, he's most famous as the the creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion, but he's also the director of like Shin Godzilla and a bunch of other movies. Um, he's a great creator in his own right, but he also did previously work on animation for Miyazaki way, way back on Nausicaa. So this is even more wild to me because as 
basically Miyazaki's final film until recently. Uh, it kind of like loops back to the beginning of Ghibli, which is interesting by bringing back this man who got his early start working for them and then created an empire of his own, basically. But also, you know, the themes that he deals with in his work also can tie in <laughs> with this shit. Um, it's very interesting to me. And I, I guess he does a good job. Like, it's, it's very surprising that this is who they chose. It kind of blew my mind when I found that out. Uh, anyway, the rest of the English cast, uh, Zach Callison is Jiro when he is a child at the beginning of the movie. That is the voice behind Steven Universe, if you're, if you're wondering who that is. Uh, Emily Blunt is Jiro's uh, fiancé and then wife, Nahako. Uh, John Krasinski is Kiro Hanjo, who is also indeed a real aircraft designer. This is Jiro's uh, college buddy and then, uh, you know, works with him at Mitsubishi. Um, now in reality, he did not attend university with Jiro. He just kind of was a guy that existed around the same time. Certainly it's probably likely that Jiro and Kiro met, but like, you know, I don't think there's any like grand story of their friendship that is real here. Um, that's kind of played up for the narrative. I still really like this character though. Oh, no, he's great. I have to say. Uh, heroes <laughs> up there with uh, Ghibli characters for me. I just love how he he is the cynic of the movie. Um, I love, this and I scene. think that's the point of view you need because he right. he definitely brings stuff crashing down to earth at several points in this movie, yeah. and it's I, great. I love to see where they're sitting in like the hotel room in Germany. Yeah, and then he like like he starts talking about the radiator. Yeah, German technology so great. You even make the radiator fly. <laughs> right, because like, 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 he's like yeah. angrily digging through a short from his ashtray and lighting it. It's so good. Yeah, he constantly asks uh, Jiro for smokes, like he's like he's in fucking Trailer Park Boys. Smokes, which <laughs> smokes. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, um, he's he's a great character because like you know, there's no point where it feels like he isn't like a friend to, to Jiro. Like he's not like a, an asshole or a bad guy, but he is super cynical and like, but like when you see what's going on, you kind of understand why he's cynical. His point of view is understandable <laughs> given the circumstances. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful dichotomy to Jiro, right? Because like, yeah, they're opposites like, yeah, basically Jiro's yeah. like the, the head in the clouds, like super like optimistic and artistic. <laughs> And then like, yeah, and Kiro's the realist and is right. like, you know, get your head out of the clouds. Japan's a fucking shithole right now. We got to get to work, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Martin Short as Hirokawa, Jiro's boss, who I was previously saying might be Miyazaki stand-in. Not yeah. sure. Uh, like love this like character as well. Um, and Martin Short does a good job uh, portraying this, uh, you know, super short hothead boss that is, you know, kind of all about perfection and nothing but. Um, he still does respect Jiro and helps him a lot towards the end of the movie, but he, you know, it's that kind of like heart of gold trope, you know, he's, he's like has the rough exterior and 
doesn't show his emotions often, but like towards the at the very end of the movie, he has that moment where he cries when Jiro gets married to his uh, tuberculosis-ridden wife. You know, um, yeah. he kind of cries over that. Uh, and then Werner Herzog as Castorp. Uh, that's that character's name, sort of. Um, so this character is intended to be a reference to a man named Stephen Alpert. He is the former executive director of Studio Ghibli's International Division. Uh, and indeed, they got that man, Alpert, to voice him in the original Japanese version of the film. Uh, the character's real name is not actually known. He's only called Castorp by Jiro as a reference to the main character of the Thomas Mann novel, The Magic Mountain, which is referenced by the two earlier in the film. Um, fascinating, weird character that kind of just like the movie takes a bit of a detour to talk about. Um, who else we got here? William H. Macy as Mr. Satomi, Naoko's father. Not named anything else besides Mr. Satomi. Um, Edie Merman as Jiro's mother, if you don't recognize that name. Uh, we brought it up in the very first Miyazaki episode. She is the voice of Fujiko in Castle Cagliostro. Uh, yeah. So it's cool that they brought somebody back from that dub, especially considering that is not a Disney dub. So it's cool that, you know, <laughs> they were able to grab somebody from the, the, an old streamlined dub. Uh, Mae Whitman is Kayo, Jiro's sister. Uh, you may recognize her as the voice of Katara in Avatar The Last Airbender, probably her most iconic role. Uh, Mandy Patinkin is Hattori, who is like the, I guess, head of Mitsubishi, kind of like Jiro's boss's boss. Right. Uh, he's a lot more of a even-tempered man, calm and cool, unlike, uh, Harakawa. Yeah, there's there's like an awesome scene where they're like sitting down, like having tea together or whatever, and uh, they're talking about the you know making making sure like the lead designer on the on the uh, the Mitsubishi's plane, and like yes, yeah, then like he fucking like dude's popping off, and then his boss just like pulls up his hand, and makes him shut up. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, yeah, calm down. <laughs> yeah because he's like upset that like Jiro is lost in his work and lost in his thoughts and not responding to the owner of the company you know yeah the, the owner's just like let him go right Kurokawa's <laughs> wife is voiced by Jennifer Grey who is uh, probably most notably from Dirty Dancing uh, weird pick but everything works I don't know how they do it these dubs are ex expertly well casted and last but not least Stanley Tucci as Caproni, uh, which I could tell. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Caproni obvious. was indeed a Italian aeronautical engineer and an early supporter of passenger aircraft. That's his whole thing in this movie. He, his dream is to make aircraft that carries people, not bombs. Uh, now, but who really knows if he had shared Inception dreams with Jiro or not? I mean, who could say really? <laughs> you know, we don't know that. You, you know, you'd have to ask him, but you can't because he's dead. Anyway, that's the cast of this movie. <laughs> Damn. Um, and it's a good one. Uh, this is probably... I mean, it's hard to, like, pinpoint. I think this might be the best dub of the Disney 
Ghibli dubs. Yeah, I think like a lot of this has to do with like we talked about the animation too. A lot of it has to do with like time as well, right? Where, like, yeah. At this point, like Ghibli, and even in America, is like a fucking empire, and like what? So in Disney, yeah, it's, it's, it's really together, well they known. Dough. They could spend some dough. They could get some talent. These right. Movies. Like I think William H Macy is a very famous man, and he has maybe like five lines in this movie, right? Right. Like the, the, you know, they're able to pull things off like that because of because of the the force behind Ghibli at this point, and like um, right. And on top of that, I mean, even then, it doesn't mean it always works out well. I mean, like look at Ponyo, for example. There's a couple sus casts in that movie. Yeah, what's wrong with Ponyo, Justin? Oh, fucking Liam Neeson was a weird <laughs> choice. I'm just saying that Liam Neeson was a weird choice. It should have been somebody goofier, but. Whatever. It, it let us make Taken 4 jokes. It did. It did. It did. I, I appreciate that. It also, you know, kept Liam Neeson employed and not hunting down black people on the street. Oh, so that was geez. probably good. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, true, but oh, jeez. See, I had one regret about the Ponyo episode. And it's I didn't make any jokes about Liam Neeson. And I was like, damn. Should have made a joke. Well, there you go. Yeah, you got your chance. Look, he invited the criticism. He could have just never told people about that shit. Right. I mean, you're right. <laughs> he could have just chose not to tell people. And no one would have been the wiser that he, like, had racist, murderous thoughts in his past. He could have just left that behind and no one would have ever known. Right. But nah, he had to tell people. Yeah, he, he had to up. get that off his chest. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, against its budget of $30 million, The Wind Rises grossed $136.5 million, enough to become the highest grossing film in Japan for 2013. The film was a success with critics. We got an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it did catch some criticism. There were those, mainly in America, that were critical of the, you know, romanticizing creators, creations, I should say, responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands, you know, like, you know, people That's that say point. that this movie kind of glorifies Jiro and, and his, you know, aircraft that, you know, did 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 a Pearl Harbor and stuff, you know, the, um, the point flew over those people's heads, like straight over it. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Justin, nevertheless, these people exist that feel this way. Uh, So but then ironically, another huge group that criticizes this movie is the Japanese right, who criticize this film after uh, around the same time of its release or a little bit prior to it. Miyazaki published an essay that was uh, criticizing a proposed amendment to Japan's constitution. Uh, and that would have allowed them to remilitarize. Uh, so in criticizing that and then making a movie that could be easily perceived correctly so as anti-war and anti-military uh, do a bad murder thing, um, Miyazaki got criticism from the Japanese right. Uh, it's strange to me to think that some would forget how incredibly anti-war Miyazaki and his work is with The Wind Rises being absolutely no exception. But it's also strange to me that this film received criticism from seemingly completely opposite groups. Yeah. In a way. 
Yes, it's, it's people who are missing the point, and then people who are idiots. Yes. Uh, to me, all of that makes the movie more interesting and worthy of discussion. Like, you know, you don't have to say you agree with Jiro Horikoshi saying, all right, I'm just going to make airplanes that are cool. And then, oops, they were used for war. You don't have to, but you can recognize that it was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that it's a fascinating story it's, it's that can be told so much more layered than that you know what i mean like yeah there's there's a lot that go that would go into something like this happening there's like the reason why like the the, the thing that the story of like good people make bad things like happens is like a lot of it not only comes from like personal desire but also like societal pressure right yeah, like there's, you know, with his brain, would he have been able to not make that aircraft? Like the government might have made him do it eventually, right. you know, if it wasn't his dream to do so. Right. There's a lot of ifs and what ands and what about isms you can say. But at the end of the day, none of that matters because it's, you know, it's just an interpretation of a work of uh, sort of fiction, sort of nonfiction. Right. You know. Yeah, I just think that like it, it there's it's layered. It, it's nuanced. Like it's almost like not everything is clear cut in life, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's just that's not how the internet works, Justin. I, I need to know internet. I need to know in 3 seconds or less whether someone is great best person ever, funny, retweet them. Or whether they are bad, terrible, cancel them, uh, uh, punch them into the dirt with my bare hands. I, those are the only two options. And I need to know how to feel about it in three <laughs> seconds or less, please. God, I want to die. <laughs> Don't have time for anything else. Don't have time for anything resembling nuance. Or fuck that shit. Like. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people with bad opinions on the internet, like everybody who liked Zack Snyder's Justice League, but we'll get into that later. Ooh, let's not transition too quickly, Justin. Right, so we'll get into that later. Just We gotta rank Miyazaki and finish Miyazaki and have a good, good old list. Right. So, I think I know what your opinion is, and I think I know what my opinion is, so we need a way to compromise and figure this out. And I don't know what that is. Okay. So where do where would did you want to put this? Like where do you want to put it? I'm looking at the list. Uh we can maybe compromise here. That's what I'm saying. I'm gonna tell you this is a top five. There's no way it's not top five, at the very least. Maybe even it's a top three. I, like I let me just say what's up there. Right now, currently at the top, we have Princess Mononoke. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to stay there. I think Princess Mononoke is better than The Wind Rises. Okay, that's fine. Then we have Spirited Away. And I think you can make an argument one way or the other. I don't feel strongly one way or another because they're Um, both excellent. Yeah, I I think that uh, I personally enjoy The Wind Rises more um, than Spirited Away. Ever so slightly. Like, Like... the differences between these three films for me are... Okay, 
Well, this ended up being easier than I thought because I will let you. I will let you have it at two. Okay. I just did not want it to be at number one. That's okay. a compromise I am willing to make. I, I, I because will, Mononoke. I Mononoke. <laughs> Mononoke is one of my favorite um, movies. Not animated. Not Ghibli. Not Miyazaki movies. <laughs> In general. Yeah. It's up there. I fucking love that movie. I adore that movie. Every single bit of it is. Fantastic. So anyway, now that we have our list, I'm going to go through it from uh, worst, quote unquote, not really worst. L- let's least best to best. All right. And then if you want to chime in with your thoughts, okay. you can, because this is our finale for Miyazaki right. before we transition to a much less talented director. Lol. Anyway, um, Ponyo is at the bottom. Sure is. It is what it is. Like I, 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 I would recommend you watch Ponyo. I'm not going to tell you Ponyo's a bad movie. It's not, but it is a little goofy and definitely for children. And but it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty and it's fun. But like, yeah, it, it, it's it's missing a huge chunk of what like what I would call the soul of Miyazaki films, and it, it makes it a weird spot for me. Yeah, also, Ponyo gives me the creeps. Uh, Anyway, next up, (laughs) Howl's Moving Castle, uh, which I feel, you know, Ponyo could have been above it. Ponyo could have been below it. I I feel very similarly about both of them. Um, Howl's Moving Castle, I think, just has more intriguing stuff going on. Uh, Not all of it works. I definitely hate Howl as a character and feel like he's the worst part of the movie itself. Yep. I think you agree. I do. <laughs> That's pretty I much do. all we talked about in the Howl episode. Which um, shit he was, yeah. But it's still a lot of fun and has a lot going for it. Uh, next up is Porco Rosso. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a whole point above Hal Ponyo and Hal's Moving Castle is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Porco is like a eight out of ten as opposed to like a seven out of 10, I would say personally, um, Porco's great. And, and certainly a precursor to the wind rises in a lot of ways. Uh, but the wind rises goes more in on themes that Porco Rosso shies away from. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, once again, it's like Porco's kind of missing something, you know? Um, it, yes. It's, it's kind of like all these movies at the bottom kind of like have like a piece missing from them. Right. Or something that they right. got like like wrong, like Ponyo just straight up has a chunk missing from it. Um, Howl's just like has like a bad lead, <laughs> which like yeah hurts the movie hard. Um, and then Howl's not the lead, but I, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. so one would of the, be the lead. Yeah, one of the leads. Yeah, he's right. like the focus. He's <laughs> the title character, and he sucks. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Same as Ponyo, kind of, but like I don't hate Ponyo. <laughs> Ponyo is just like innocence and kind of annoying to me as, as a result. But like I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, next highest on the list would be Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which is a lot of a title. Um, Nausicaa's cool. Uh, it's 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 post-apocalyptic. It's got bugs. It's got Patrick Stewart. <laughs> It's got bugs. It's Dune. It's yeah. basically Dune. It's basically it's Dune. It's pretty much Dune. Dune, except the main character is, like, good and right. good-hearted. 
uh <laughs> like, there are good people in that story it's dune uh, not everybody garbage, is a shit which makes it not as good as dune damn it's still pretty good though but yeah it's um I think Nausicaa is hella underrated. Uh, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. I still have yet to read the manga I bought, which was uh, hella fucking huge. Um, giant, thick, beautiful, hardcover, two-volume set of the Nausicaa manga, which I meant to read way back then, and have got, got distracted with reading other things. Uh, but I will get to it eventually, and we'll talk about it on this show, I assume. Next highest, Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, Lupin the Third is fucking cool. Yeah, it um, is. I just gotta say, you know, this is definitely a bit of an outlier because it's a Lupin movie. And, you know, but Miyazaki's charm and tropes still are here. And Lupin's fun, too. So there's nothing wrong with this at all. Great movie. Fun adventure film. Mm-hmm. Next highest, Castle in the Sky, right outside the top five. Castle in the Sky is great. It's fantastic. I love that movie a lot. Yeah, I think we've fully transitioned into the nine out of tens. Right. Basically, right? Like, yeah. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong or bad about Castle in the Sky. No, it's it's very good. This where you, this is where you start getting the territory where the differences become very minute. Um, right. And Castle in the Sky is a wonderful story and, like, amazing environments, too. And that movie's good. So your top five. Number five. My Neighbor Totoro. Absolute classic. One of the best children's films ever made. Yeah. Almost, uh, almost a masterpiece. Yeah, it's adorable. It's, it's a little... I guess maybe too childish to be my favorite personally, but that's just my personal taste. Right. Totoro's still uh, hilarious and adorable, and there is Cat Bus, which is a thing that Hell needs yeah, to be seen. My, uh, uh, dude, <laughs> my girlfriend's getting a Cat Bus tattoo. It's going to be cool. Fuck yeah, awesome. <laughs> Number four, Kiki's Delivery Service. Fucking love this movie. This is, in my opinion... 10 out of 10 and up is where we're at right now. I guess you could make an argument for neighbor. I, I would say Totoro is like 9.5. Kiki's is a 10 and the rest are tens. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I can get behind that. Okay. Kiki's a number four. That's just like one of the best coming of age stories I've ever seen. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's layered. Um, Phil Hartman is fucking hilarious in it as the talking cat. Uh, what a great movie! Also, it's Spider Man Two. Yes, it is. Spider-Man if you if you want to know what the plot of it is, uh, <laughs> Spider Man Two without Doctor Octopus. Maybe that's more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about it since declaring it against all criticism from anyone else that Kiki's Delivery Service is indeed Spider Man Two. Uh, I've thought about it a little bit more, not a lot, but a little bit. Spider Man Two if Doc Ock wasn't a fact. It's the only element that has no um, uh, mere image in Kiki's delivery surface. Right. Uh, there is no octopus man. There's no villain of Kiki's besides the villain being like growing up question mark, mm-hmm. I guess, um, which is fine. Miyazaki movies don't really have villains per se. They, 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 I mean, some of them do, but for the most part, 
the problems are a little more deep and layered than that. Right. Number three, Spirited Away. Everybody knows this one's good. This is probably the Miyazaki movie most people talk about the most, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's the most famous. It's the most famous in the U.S., but that and Totoro. Um, this movie was just recently out out monetized by <laughs> Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, a considerably worse film. Like, considerably worse. Um, a movie I just saw a week ago. Um, yeah, Justin's actually seen Demon, Demon Slayer. Yeah, and, yeah, I went to the movies for the first time... In, in over a year and it, it made me very giddy <clears throat> but i saw demon slayer which like it was i guess an enjoyable enough experience but goddamn, the, the, the mo- like problem with most shonens especially modern shonens is like god damn dude that, that film's like missing a soul and it like loves to mm-hmm. just considerably over explain itself to you and it's just it's just weird, man. I did not. Right. But Justin, it, it made more money than Spirited Away. So clearly it is a better film. Yeah. Right. No, not even close. OK. As Miyazaki himself once said, anime was a mistake. I don't know True. if he actually said that. That could be wrong. I don't know if he's actually said that. I don't know if he actually said that either. <laughs> Definitely, you see, I've seen it attributed to the man with, like, a picture of him, but, like, there's no evidence in a meme that it actually occurred, so I, I don't I don't know. Number two, we just put it there, we just talked about it, shitload, the wind rises. I don't think we have to say anything more. It's good. It's really fucking good. Uh, and then number one, for for me personally, this is probably, like, my favorite animated film uh and up there with my favorite films princess mononoke great movie uh great fantasy film cool uh talking animal gods uh great badass main character um just the entire cast is interesting the entire cast is morally gray and the story has a lot to do like it's I think it's his most successful anti-war story. I would say. In terms of how it is structured and in terms of how all sides of the conflict are presented. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. I think it's Miyazaki developing that themes to its that, that theme to its highest potential. Yeah. Wind Rises is pretty close, though, because it is actually talking about an actual war that actually happened. <laughs> but right. uh-huh. still, um, my minor gripes with Wind Rises that make me put it slightly below Mononoke is I just think the Wind Rises kind of just hurries to its end really quickly in its last 10 minutes. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of like closure and uh emotional uh beats from Jiro about his wife leaving to go back to the sanitarium to basically like die uh it's pretty fucked up and we kind of only see his reaction in that dream sequence but i would have kind of actually preferred to see what he would think about it in reality as well mm-hmm and I feel like it kind of just like fast forwarded to the dream sequence and then therefore to the ending. That's my only real 
problem with Wind Rises. It's still like a 10 out of 10, you know? Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, but that's, that's just me. I can see that. I think it's a valid criticism. I, I don't want to, like, just come out and say I wanted more pain and suffering, but, like, I felt like I was... There should have logically been more. I, I don't want there to be... A movie like, that's already, you know, like, two hours long, I think it yeah. could have used probably another, like, 20 more minutes. Yeah, maybe. But, like, the thing, it, think about like a little movie, bit of nuance at the end. Yeah, I don't know, just, like... It's not really about that, though, is it? Like at the end of the day, no, it's not. But there's there's a lot of plot points that just get wrapped up in the dream sequence at the end. Like he's like, yeah, I made my plane here. It is. And then, yeah, my wife died. And then, oh, she's here in the dream. Keep living. OK, I do it. And that's it's great. It works for the ending of the movie. I wouldn't change the ending of the movie. I just felt like there should have been like maybe a couple scenes leading up to that. That would make it flow a little more naturally because, like, the ending kind of just happens and then it's like, oh, it's over to me personally. Yeah, maybe it's maybe a little bit more like of a challenge for him or something. Maybe. It's probably hard to narratively find the, where to go from my wife go, went to go die to how to end the movie. It's probably really difficult right. to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Enough about good movies. Uh, Let's so talk about Zack Snyder's fucking Justice League. Two God days damn it. ago, I want to just put a little bit of context in behind how I viewed this film, and maybe it was for the worst. <laughs> I don't know. Here, here we fucking go. Yeah. All right. So two nights ago, um, I watched this film, and it was a late night. I work nights. Like, for example, I'm actually, as soon as we finish this podcast, I basically have to get ready to leave for work. Um, so I watched the film very late. I guess started it at like 2 in the morning and finished it a little after 6. I watched the whole thing through one sitting. I got up to like pee, I think, once. I had a really yeah. bad time. I just, overall... All I really see this movie as is make a bad movie have a little more vision, but so much chunkier. Yes. Just a big chonker. Just a big chonker of hammy bullshit. You are not wrong. As, as it has been with these films, that, that the, the, the Snyderverse, mm-hmm. they, they are soulless. They are fucking bleak, washed out, and nonsensical sometimes. It is right. hammy and not in a good way. I fucking had a bad time. This movie is god-awful. Everything you are saying is correct. I kind of enjoyed it. It is only remotely better than (laughs) the original Justice League. And you have to put 
so much more time in for that experience. And is it really yeah, worth true. it? It's not. It's not worth four hours of your fucking life. You could have watched The Wind Rises twice. <laughs> yeah, you would have a way better experience. Yeah. You could watch Princess um, Mononoke and then The Wind Rises. And instead, yeah. you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. Movie length doesn't bother me. However, um, it's really strange that this movie is presented as, oh, this is what Justice League was originally going to be. It's not. No. Do you actually, actually, actually think that Warner Brothers was going to release this as a four hour long film? No, a whole, at least a whole, at probably a whole hour of this thing would have gotten cut out. And I could probably and like, more if you, as if evidenced you by me, the theatrical cut. Right. And it, like, if, if I like took a lot of time, I could tell you exactly what to cut. And it would still be yeah. different from like the theatrical release of Justice League. I'll tell you that much. This would be very different. But yeah, it would be about just as bad. I think like, well, let me, let some me of the, be very clear about how I feel about this. Uh, it is easily better than the Whedon version. Easily. But that isn't like an accomplishment because the Whedon version is really fucking bad. And that's because it's a movie with no... Like, it might as well have no director at that point because it's a movie with conflicting stories to tell Yeah, in its, in its narrative. Uh, regardless say. of how you feel about Zack Snyder, though... Yeah, we'll say it has, I would it has say, a coherent vision. Unlike, unlike the theatrical release, yeah, it has a coherent vision. It's, it's just a really bad it's, one. It's kind of glorious how much of an L this is for Joss Whedon uh, and Jeff Johns, to me personally. Like, I, I just, yeah. like, that's my main takeaway from this. It's like, you took this movie and you made it worse somehow by trying to make it better. And that is really intriguing to me. Like, yeah, maybe the only reason why people are coming away with the opinion that justice league, the Snyder cut is good is because they have previously seen the Whedon cut. I, I don't think for people that have never seen the Whedon cut and just jump into the Snyder version, it probably doesn't play very well. It probably plays like extremely poorly. Well, yeah, because it's still um, at the end of the day, it's still a, not a good movie. Like, yeah, it's. I think like this movie gets a lot of the benefit of the doubt because it's like because it's you know like a director's cut basically. It's like easily comparable, and you know because of everything that happened to like all you're gonna do is compare it to the theatrical release. And you know what? Compared to the theatrical release, you might think it's good. If you just compared it to theatrical release, it cannot stand on its own as like a good film. It can't. It doesn't. There, there's so many glaring issues. Like I said, like we've talked about this before with Snyder's fucking weird ass directorial style, but it's bad. And like I, I feel bad. Yeah. I feel a little bad because like it seems like Snyder's a good guy, and like a lot of the actors that work for him really like him. He seems like he's an easy to get along with director and that's great, but he still makes trash. No. And like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think he's actually genuinely a good person, which is kind of the like weird, hilarious side effect of this is like, because it was like a perceived, like 
you know, Warner's fucked this man and we were robbed of like, you know, the quote unquote real superhero movie, uh, like movement from like the weirdos in the comic book community, you know, the weirdos that like yell every time Brie Larson gets announced to be in anything, the weirdos that like buy up all the Rose Tico action figures and cut their heads off. Right. Those weirdos, those weirdos went in on like, where's the Snyder cut Warner brothers. And then at the end of the day, you know, they thought like Zack Snyder was like hashtag our guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like he, he is our white knight. He, he is our, you know, he knows what's up. But then at the end of the day, Zack Snyder's like, Hey, I don't stand with you guys. You yeah. Know? Cause he just wanted to, I mean like, he just got the opportunity to make the film he wanted to make, which is great. I mean, it like, yeah, it he probably have... definitely took advantage of the fervor that bad people had for this movie. And not everybody and used not... it yeah. to his own advantage to actually get to make it and finish it. And I'm, I'm, like, but... you're just talking about nuance, by the way, like not, a, of course, not everybody who wanted the Snyder cuts a bad person. No, like, absolutely not. Not at all. There's but, a weird uh, coalition know. of people. That Look, sometimes like, there's people that just have bad opinions out there that think BVS is good. But, you know, that's all. Greg Miller. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I also think that, you know, Snyder was a little benevolent with his creation of this. Like, he didn't take a paycheck from Warner Brothers. He, he, he chose to instead take entire creative control. Yeah. Um, and do a lot of stupid weird shit that like he probably wouldn't have been allowed to do if he was actually on their payroll for this movie. Um, but also like it's it's likely this even with everything it this might not have happened if it wasn't for COVID nineteen. Um, they wanted something to release in any way, and this was a good candidate because they didn't need to film a lot of new shit. They just needed to do some effects work, and effects work can be done remotely. So, yeah, sure. When Batman is delayed by a year, and The Suicide Squad is delayed by a year, and 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 who knows about all the other movies that are in flux and the universe that's in flux with DC and Warner Brothers right, right now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. We'll make the Snyder cut. Sure. Yeah. Make us make yeah. a bit of cash, and it wasn't that <laughs> successful, by the way. No, it wasn't, because the only people that really cared was like internet reviewers, and the people that wanted it. And then you watch it, you watch it once, you never rewatch it because it's four hours long, and you're done. Right, like I don't know. It's it's the it's a fun dichotomy, right? Good movies that are super long. Let's take, for example, we watched this previously, The Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. I mean, like, Return of the King is probably this long, with extended. Right? Maybe a little under. Yeah, but the movie's, like, enjoyable the entire way through. Like, it uses every minute with purpose. Every minute. This movie maybe uses 15 minutes with purpose. I don't really know. I mean, you really needed to have Joker make that reach around Joe. Well, Whatever. you know, Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, that's like a whole other thing to talk about. So so I just like I had notes written from when it actually came out and I kind of just copy pasted them into my new notes here. 
Because, you know, usually when we talk about a movie on Get and Chubb, I go like, hey, it was directed by so-and-so, and hey, it stars so-and-so, and this is what it's about. But, like... We did that already. I We kind of did that already, and everyone knows this is the most talked about, like, movie, <laughs> like, of of 2020 so far, or, or 2021, I should say. Like, it's... um. Not in a good way, you know, it's it is what it is, you know, but for the most part. It's 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 not it's not worth it. Nope. I just, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I was like, maybe we should just do this not as its own episode, even though there's certainly enough to talk about. But like it has been talked to death by now. And. We have less to say on it because we're just going to kind of say it bad and but it better than the original. But it does count for our Batman series. So as an addendum, let's add it. Yeah, kind of like where I stood on it. So um, let me just ask you about a couple of things I got notes on here that I was going to mention that I, you know, this is just stuff that I, you know, found strange or weird or good or bad about the movie. What do you think about the aspect ratio? Um, I didn't really give a shit about it. Like, it, it was a little unnerving at first, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I don't know why it's oh, there. I, I don't know why he decided to do that. It is, really to apparently... His creative vision. Apparently it is the way that it was originally shot. Because you can tell that, like, the, the frames from the theatrical Whedon cut are, like, squished in to right. make it fit widescreen. It's a similar effect, like, if you watch uh, The Simpsons on, like, a YouTube clip or, like, the original aspect ratio and then watch it on Disney+, Plus, they, they shove it into a widescreen format, sometimes ruining jokes that are in the margins that they cut out. It's kind of unfortunate. I wish they would put it back in its original aspect ratio. Not really a real reason to do that other than, I guess, just ooh, everyone has widescreen TV, so put widescreen. I guess. I guess. I don't know. It was a little weird at first seeing a movie in 2021 that was in that aspect ratio. Especially I think you get like, used to it. Yeah, you get used to it really quick. It was, it's not one of my gripes with the film. It doesn't really make a difference to me. It's, like, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, the decision to do it originally is bizarre, but the decision to then cut your losses and shove it into widescreen and put a filter on it is equally bizarre to me. Right. <laughs> so like, they just fucked up left and right. Um, I, I gotta say, there's a surprising amount of stuff that, like, I would have thought were Whedon additions that were actually apparently in the movie all along it seems like snyder did indeed listen to a tiny little bit of the criticism from batman v superman and put jokes in the movie not all of them work though but it's there's definitely things that i was like oh i think the flash saying i need friends that sounds like a joss whedon line it's apparently not that's apparently in the movie. Yeah, I Aquaman guess so. saying "my man" to Cyborg is apparently actually Zack Snyder. 
Bruce saying that his superpower is that he's rich. Apparently, Zack Snyder. Uh, that's strange to me. But if you want to talk about what actually is Whedon, um, oh boy, uh, Whedon, if you recall, added a lot of bad jokes that made their way uh, into the theatrical cut and uh-huh. and onto haunted everyone, like uh, the Flash trying to fist bump Cyborg. And then Cyborg just looks at him, and then the Flash is like, no, okay, sorry, racially charged. Yeah, that's really and then bad. and then and then the Flash like does a big run and then crashes into Wonder Woman's tits and goes, uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, and you know, it's all awkward and shit. Or like Wonder Woman sits on Wonder Woman's lasso and starts dumping his feelings to everybody. And says a lot of stuff that he didn't mean to. Oops. How funny. Or like Batman lands on his ass and says, oh, oh God, that hurt. Oh, man, that's real good. I'm glad all that stuff's gone. (laughs) I gotta say. I'll tell you what, yeah, I agree. It was ass. Now, my favorite scene from Justice League is the Superman fight sequence where yeah. after he is brought back to life. And uh, now it's still basically here in its entirety, which is interesting because I actually kind of just assumed that was all Joss Whedon. And the reason I think I and others assume that is because of the, the now infamous Henry Cavill anti mustache CGI that that is uh, very unnatural looking and strange you know, his CGI upper lip to digitally replace uh, his mustache that he had in real life. Uh, Perhaps the strangest CGI that uh, a major motion picture ever had to utilize uh, in film history. I I don't know what else would qualify, (laughs) but um, perhaps this was just a scene that had yet to be finalized before Snyder decided he needed to leave to, to deal with the, lo- the the death of his daughter. Uh, either way, I did notice less bad mustache removal CGI and less bad CGI in general in this version, although there is some. Oh, dude. <laughs> There's some really sus cyborg CGI. Yeah, that was also the case in the original. I, I think sus- it is better here. Yeah. It's better here, but... Um, Cyborg gets a lot more screen time and development, and I would say it's it's arguable he's the main character. Uh, he's he's really the highlight of the whole thing. I think Ray Fisher does a good job. He deserves a better movie. It kind of reminds me of how I felt about Ben Affleck in Batman v Superman. Uh, yeah. I was like, wow, that's actually a good superhero portrayal. I wish it was in a different film. But here we are. Now, it's interesting, but so Ray Fisher's allegations against Joss Whedon, Jeff Johns, and WB really seem to ring true now that I can see that his role was indeed minimized for the theatrical cut. Yeah. As as well as the roles of several other non-white supporting characters, by the way just completely excised and removed from the film. Now, obviously, this is our gargantuan 
four hour long monster. But there's other scenes that could have been cut, like uh, J.K. Simmons's Commissioner Gordon that doesn't need to be here. But they specifically chose to minimize Cyborg, Cyborg's dad, and, uh, you know, there's the Asian scientist, there's Martian Manhunter. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, not white characters <laughs> that they, they just uh, deleted, uh, which is interesting. Although I kind of understand deleting Martian Manhunter because that's a bizarre scene. I liked it, though. Why is he pretending to be Superman's mom? I don't know. But he looks cool. (laughs) That was, if you don't remember, that's a character that is in Batman v Superman and Man of Steel. The person that is uh, Martian Manhunter. The black guy. Yeah. He um, was like a... I guess he's been here the whole time, is the idea. I, I don't know. It doesn't really explain what he does in Man of Steel and BBS, but it's it's a cool little nod that could have went places, but we're never going to see what could have happened. What, what do you think about Flash in this movie? Do you think he's worse or better? I don't think it's that much different. I mean, he gets like... He gets an intro, to do, at and least. Then like, and then he gets like... More dumb things to do. Though the only scene I like of his is like, like in his intro, like when he like goes through the glass and all that shit's like super fucking cool. Um, I, I thought that was a really cool scene. And I also yeah. liked that he had he was really integral to the ending bit and got to do that really cool scene where like you know he literally rewinds time so that they win. That was pretty neat. I liked right. that bit a lot. It, it made him feel a lot more useful. Whereas in the weed inversion, he's like played for laughs mostly and seems really useless, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it gives him more to do, which is like good, you know? But like, um, yeah. I don't think he's a good character still. He sucks. Yeah. I, Ezra Miller, um, I, f- I forget who said this. Somebody said he's like the poor man's Tom Holland. Damn. And like, yeah, I can understand what you're saying. He he's re- he doesn't have that level of charm that you need to pull off a performance like this. He's I don't know. I don't know what it is. I try not to let personal feelings come into it, but he does seem like kind of a douche in real life. But I try not to let that like, I try to just let the performance speak for itself and not judge it. But like. I don't know, there's just something about his Flash that doesn't work in ways that other Flashes and other pieces of media have worked. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a problem that can be remedied by the time they make that fucking Flash movie with multiple Batmen in it. I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with that, but we'll see. Yeah, who knows? Oh, he sucks. Yeah. Most oh, can we talk about that? Suck. That's true. Can we talk about that Wonder Woman scene where she fucking kills a bunch of people? That's just hilarious. Yeah. It's once again showing that Zack Snyder doesn't like kind of half gives a shit if his heroes kill people. It's really weird. No, he doesn't give a shit. She just kills the fuck out of those terrorists. I'm not opposed to it, but like so you either commit to that or you don't like the problem is she kills the shit out of so many of those terrorists. And then that one just blows up and then she just turns around and goes like, are you all right, kids? 
remember to eat hostess snack pies or like whatever. Like it's it's fucking like you can't like just turn around and act like Christopher Reeves Superman after you just fucking decimated people in front of children. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird for Wonder Woman too. It's just like Yeah. (laughs) The problem with Snyder looks like weirdly toes the line between like his heroes caring and not caring if it's yeah. like they kill people and it's really bad it, it's worse than picking one route or the other it's just really worse because you don't know it mixes up your character's motivations it like mixes up the nature of the world it, it's just really just off you know i think it's a problem with how he portrays these characters because Zack Snyder isn't interested in showing these characters in like a Marvel sense where like, you know, and I don't even mean MCU. I mean like Marvel comics where like the characters uh, are more relatable, the superheroes where like they have real world problems, you know, Spider-Man might have to fight the green goblin, but he also has to get like, you know, cough medicine home to his aunt, you know, like, like that kind of shit. They they intentionally tried to give real world problems and characteristics to their characters, but Snyder doesn't seem to want that with his superheroes. Zack Snyder seems to want to portray them as like literal gods. Yeah, and I think it's a terrible portrayal, by the way. Yeah, I think you can use that portrayal to your advantage. Um, I've been recently reading Alan Moore's Miracle Man. Yeah, and it's fucking great i'm not gonna go too into it here because it's a complete outlier to this discussion but i think you can approach superheroes as gods and talk about them in that context but you need to have a level of nuance and craft and expertise to pull that off that Zack snyder uh severely lacks um yeah it's not there (laughs) <laughs> and and uh whoever else helped him write this movie chris terrio chris terrio <laughs> fucking chris terrio writer of such hit films as batman v superman and star wars episode 9 the rise of skywalker Doing a great that job. dude's a legend <laughs> he did make argo with ben affleck though that's pretty good that's a good movie yeah i don't know what happened uh, who knows <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the movie as a whole is more violent, uh, seemingly just to earn that R rating. But other than that, and like that that cringy line that the Joker says, it probably could have been toned down to a PG thirteen if Snyder wanted it to, right? Yeah, and Batman said a fuck, but you can still keep a PG thirteen with Batman saying a fuck. Yes, It'll actually, fucking kill you. Well, that scene wasn't going to be in the. We'll talk about that in a minute. I, I don't know. Fuck that. What do you What do you think of the villain? I'm not a big fan of his design, but I, I will admit he's a more fleshed out villain ooh, than he was Step. before. Yeah, Mister um, Steppy. Yeah, Mister Ooh Steppy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He looks cooler. He sucks just about as much. He isn't anything special. No, he never was. But like he, he at least has motives and goals. In this movie, whereas in the other one, he just shows up and is just like, <laughs> and that's like him the whole movie. <laughs> Can we jump on the box? <laughs> yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, I fucking, I don't know, man, I hate him. I, I like that his goal is to get back into the good graces of Darkseid and like, you know, 
I also like that he gets super fucking killed in this movie. <laughs> they kill wrecked. the shit out of him. He gets impaled through the back of Aquaman's trident. He gets decapitated by Wonder Woman, and then his head rolls through the portal to Apocalypse, and Darkseid crunches it under his boot. Like, that's a lot of overkill. Like, I don't know. Sometimes, like, Zack Snyder has fun ideas, like, in the same way that, like, a like an eight-year-old would have a fun idea. Like, you know... And then his head comes off and goes through the port. <laughs> like, he should focus on stuff like that. He can make a cool, dumb visual. And I think there's a place for that in the world, but maybe it's not in this. I don't know. Apparently that's what his new film is. Army of the Dead? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Apparently I gotta, I gotta like, check that out. It's just kind of like a goofy romp and like doesn't take itself too seriously. So man, I want him to make movies like that. Instead of movies that feel like they're biting off more than they should, they should chew um, with their the themes. The entirety of the Snyderverse, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's, it's just bad portrayals of most of the heroes here. I hate his Superman portrayal. It's so bad. It's always been really yeah. bad. Like, it, the, Superman becomes so fucking boring right. unless you bring him like skyrocketing down to Earth. And like it's it's a thing that like yeah. these movies are missing, right? Where we talk about like the human element of it. It's it's very missing. It's like Superman is already a god. If you just portray him like a god, it's not a, it's not like a different presentation. He wanted him he, he wanted him to be Miracle Man or Doctor Manhattan, where right. it's like you know what would it be like if a superhero was real in the real world? What would happen? And then he, like Man of Steel had like a, a bunch of nine elevens happening in it, but like um. I think you need to approach that character completely differently if that's the case. And right. he still has the fucking like he's still Clark Kent and he's still like, you know, a guy. But like he's not interested in portraying that aspect of him. So it's kind of just like a distraction from it. I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's just it's it's annoying. it doesn't work. It's and it's so a waste to Henry Cavill, who's a good actor. Otherwise, yeah, he is. oh, my God, he's a, he's a really good yeah. actor, actually. Like, his talents get so fucking wasted. Yeah, yo, he's gonna be in a Highlander reboot apparently. Oh, I think shit. he's done with DC. He's gonna do other crazy shit. Um, he's also too busy getting <laughs> like, injured on the set of The Witcher. Apparently, that sucks. Oh I feel bad shit! Yeah, he got. They, oh, that's right. He got delayed. More Witchers coming. Yeah, it got delayed though because he got hurt on set. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. All right, well, he's but... better now. He's fine now, and they're finishing it up. But that's good. Yeah, as long as he didn't injure his giant PC. Dog, dude. Um, I love. It. Have you watched any of his like PC building videos and shit like that? It's actually really fun. No, I've just seen dude's like a, memes. Dude's a total and shit. fucking uh, dork. I love it. Yeah, he is. It's pretty great. And like, I don't know, um, but him being that dedicated to like that kind of stuff like makes him so good in like The Witcher, for example. And I'm sure he tried his best for Superman, but like, you can only do so much with what you have. True. Why does he have a black costume in this? Like, I realize that's like a reference to oh, the comics when um, he died and came back, but like, I oh, I, he just does. Oh, literally? Okay, I literally thought it was just because of the washed-out filter of everything in this movie. I thought he was like a normal blue suit, but I just can't tell colors. You just can't see colors in this movie. I already, all right, so like a little bit of context <laughs> here. I already have a little bit of trouble with colors. I'm like slightly colorblind. So, oh, really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Like, if there's certain colors I have trouble discerning, like if they're close. Is blue one of them? yeah. Like so, like I, okay. I like I have to turn on colorblind settings in games sometimes to like help me see better. Like I play Valorant, for example, I have to make like there's a right, okay. like the enemies like a bright yellow instead of their normal like dark red because it's hard for me to see. Um, Maybe look up like a comparison between Superman scenes in the theatrical and Superman scenes in uh, Snyder Cut 
and you'll see what I mean. Like, I mean, he literally has a black suit in this, and they kind of just painted on the blue and red suit more colorful than it had ever been before in the Snyder movies uh, into the Whedon version. Uh, and it doesn't work no. there. And it, and, but also I, I don't understand why he has the black suit um, at all, Yeah. but whatever. But like that, so that, that, that trouble with colors I heard you have like makes it is a personal anecdote, but it makes Snyder's fucking, Dumbass, even more filter. Than yeah, just like yeah. even, dude, the first scene when it like like or super early on in the movie when you get like that like those like establishing shots of Metropolis, dude, it just looks like shit. It just looks like oh, shit. It looks during like Superman's death yell. Yeah, it it looks like <laughs> it just looks like a barren wasteland. It's Metropolis. What are you doing? Yeah, it's supposed to look it's very just, colorful. It's right. not supposed to look like Gotham. Yeah, everything looks like Gotham. The whole movie just looks like it's in Gotham the whole time. Yeah. I just like yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, I got gotcha. you. I can't stand it. There's a place for that kind of like that kind of like washed out color scheme, but like it's not the whole thing. You can't no, stop it. It shouldn't be at least. Stop. Yeah, just fucking stop, man. Add some fucking color to your shit. And like, it seems like he's taken heart to that criticism. Once again, his new movie is full of color and like color is cool. important. Like, yeah, just I not think so. having it, I think is always a detriment. It's, it's this isn't just a criticism of, of Zack Snyder. No, um, it's a criticism like, of a lot I of like, this type. I like the MCU, but the MCU has this problem quite a bit. Uh, yeah. People point out those like frames uh, from the climactic final battle of Endgame a lot, where like everything is washed out and brown looking, even though like the events on screen should be super colorful and crazy that are happening. They look really washed out and brown, um, which is unfortunate because what is actually happening on screen is fucking crazy and awesome and should be highlighted with color like they would be in a comic book. You know, like when, like in in like like in the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline, when like every character showed up, uh, they're all designed and colorfully drawn, and it looks fucking great. Like I wish it looked more like that. Right. I it's really just, do. It's so disappointing, man. I I think like it makes things worse for me. I hate it. Um, I hate this movie. I just really hate this movie. And like another thing that's like just god awful about it. The, yeah. The the, the stuff that's added at the end. Can we can we talk about that now? The like flash. I want to I want to save that for the actual last thing we talk about. Oh, there's something else you wanted to talk about with this. <laughs> I was gonna make a transition toasted. earlier when you said a huge dork, and I was gonna transition into speaking of a huge dork. I'm a huge dork, and I like the Jack Kirby Fourth World stuff a lot. And it was really cool for me to see Darkseid and Desaad and Granny Goodness in this movie. However, if you're not a huge nerd, that stuff probably reads like fucking nonsense. Oh, it's, it's really <laughs> example. I'm very experienced with like the overall DC comic universe. And like, I guess not a complete comic nerd. It made no fucking sense to me. Yeah, no, I think you need to set up those concepts a little better. Fourth World is really interesting shit. The new gods are really interesting shit. Unfortunately, DC, what, like Warner Brothers was going to make a new gods movie and they canceled it 
So we're probably never going to see dark side on screen again. Well, I'll never say never. We're in a interesting era of superhero movie, superhero movie, superhero movie. So we'll see what happens, but that stuff's cool. And it's like its own, like weird, crazy mythology of weirdo God characters. And I, I hope they adapt that stuff eventually. Cause it's fucking cool. But that being said, yeah, I can see how it just sounds like fucking techno gobbledygook <laughs> to, to the layman right. when they're talking about mother boxes and parademons and apocalypse with a K. <laughs> oh, man. It's just bad, dude. It's just really bad. Yeah, so let's talk about that ending then, Justin. Um, yeah. The nightmare sequence, if you will. Uh, with a K. Um, oh boy. So, like, if you're unfamiliar, which you're probably not, there's basically like a epilogue. It's I think it's actually titled and started introed as epilogue, right? Yeah. This movie is chaptered out into various segments. I would recommend that uh, you, you, you do the movie was on for 40 more seconds. minutes after the bad guys defeated. Yeah, it's fucking I got to that part that I went like, uh, like it's funny. I was talking to my brother like as he came in and started talking to me as I was finishing it up because like he just woke up. Yeah. And like I was like, all right, they did it. How much longer is in the movie? And I go and scroll over and my jaw dropped. Yeah, this happened to us, too, because I think one of us had to pee like I watched it with Josh. And uh, one of us had to pee like around that time. And I was like, wait, there's 40 minutes left. Are you fucking serious, dude? What? <laughs> and then I found out what takes up the that 40 minutes and what? What? Why? This is probably the only new thing that was filmed, by the way, was this scene. Um, so you have a post-apocalyptic dream slash not dream just like the weird one in batman v superman in the desert uh so there's like a group that can maybe be called a justice league but maybe not Uh, the team members are batman flash cyborg uh mira yes unfortunately amber heard is in this movie uh Deathstroke, who just got introduced to you in like basically what what was once the post credit scene of Justice League, uh, and the Joker, and not just any Joker, the worst Joker, <laughs> the Jared Leto portrayed Joker. He's back and he's uh, he's as cringy as ever. I've seen some people describe his performance here as better then suicide squad and like i think his look here is way better but i still think he i really don't get his portrayal i don't like it yeah it's it's bad <laughs> i yeah i i knew you would probably hate this ending part um and it's it sucks because like i think the ideas present here are kind of interesting where like, you know, they're forced to work together after like Darkseid's taken over the world or whatever. And like, 
you know, but it gets to like to just to be overly edgy garbage because like Joker taunts Batman about the death of Robin and he, he says he'd give Batman a reach around as a joke and I'm I'm not fucking joking that's in the movie. And uh Batman says fuck. Like he says he would fucking kill the Joker if he had the chance. And it all feels up this whole thing feels like set up for a sequel that's not gonna happen, which is bizarre that it's even included. Yeah. I... It's so bizarre. The the whole... The whole thing's fucking stupid. Right. It's really bad. And... It's a waste of time, like, uh... Most of this movie is. Oh, well, yeah. And, um... I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> it's it's set up for maybe not even Justice League 2, but Justice League 3, which is not even ever going right. to happen. It's like, it's so um, bizarre. It's so bizarre. Because the original idea for these movies was a, a trilogy that would be part one that we just saw, basically. And then part two would be Darkseid coming back and the heroes have to fight him. And there's maybe a couple new members of the Justice League. But then they lose and Darkseid kills everybody. And then the third movie would be them time traveling and figuring out, like, fixing it. Uh, and I think there's a real, real big reason we're not going to see those. And it's not just that Justice League failed and the Snyder Cut didn't make them a lot of money either. It's that that is literally the plot to Infinity War and Endgame. <laughs> like... Like, Marvel just beat you to the punch on that one, guys. Like, you can't keep adapting that idea. It, it's not going to work, right? Yeah. I don't know. What are you going to do? So, uh, I think I'll say this. The, the Snyder Cut is simultaneously a great improvement on a lousy film and an overstuffed, self-indulgent, edgy mess. And changing the tone from Snyder to Whedon was not a solution, but but a good solid edit and a restructuring most definitely would have resulted in a better movie than either of these two cuts. They both have different problems. They both suck. And I can't recommend either of them. <laughs> no, please, God. So can we, um, for, for ranking, right? We're going to rank this, I assume. We just put it yeah, right dude. above the original and just call it. Do you think it, this is better or worse than Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? This is the only question I have. Worse because it's longer. Worse because it's longer? I don't know. That movie feels longer. Um, also pissed jar. That is not a positive in any way, it's Justin. A, it's a positive to me. What are you fucking talking about? All right, fine. Uh, what do you actually call this movie? Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Zack Snyder's Justice League, eh? Yeah. I just think, like, it, it. not only is it a good meme, it's also, like, literally how I feel. Those three movies are just in a group of, like, shit together. All right, let me write it down. So, just to clarify, we're not going to go in, but I am going to tell you the ranking of Batman movies. This will be revisited by us this year, because... By the rules that we initially set, the Suicide Squad will count, uh, and then we won't have to do another one until uh, The Batman comes out. I do want to see The Suicide Squad anyway. I don't know about you. 
I hope it's good. Um, but anywho, our ranking of Batman films, should I go best to worst? Yeah. Or worst to best? Or worst to best, like you did Miyazaki. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, just like they're equal in some way, right? Okay. So, uh, worst is Catwoman. And then in ascending order, Suicide Squad, Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, (laughs) Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Birds of Prey, and the blah, 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 Harley Quinn. The Dark Knight Rises, Lego Batman, Batman Returns, Batman 1989, and our top five, number five's Joker, number four, Batman 1966, number three, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, number two, Batman Begins, number one, The Dark Knight. That's probably our most expansive list of movies that we've covered 100 it is it's the longest one and um, it's going to continue to grow because they're not going to stop making batman movies until you and i are both been in the ground for centuries right. so <laughs> so batman's forever no pun intended or maybe it is so it's time we're going over two hours and close this bitch out with a wheel spin all right, so I gotta. We gotta do something first. Yeah, that wheel something. probably has Miyazaki on it. I have a suggestion for you. I want to replace him with a different director's entire breadth of work, okay. and keep like a director spot on the wheel. Okay. But also one that doesn't overlap with a lot of like uh, other series and things okay um i was gonna suggest quentin tarantino to you and see how you felt about that one i'm cool with it yeah that's a good one fuck yeah dude similar nature like to like the breath of work and stuff like that yeah i'm good let's put it on there yeah it's like about i think it's 10 movies or so or maybe nine i don't know either way uh, that'd be a lot of fun i feel so when you're done with that tell us what's on the wheel kind of trapped yeah but um hold on i could change a couple settings real quick and take you guys with me i'm gonna sound a little okay bit, mate i'm gonna sound a little bit worse for a minute but it'll be worth it i can't move the wheel right now i choose to believe you yeah i hope you do now <laughs> and change it over here uh-huh ah ah okay cool coming over here we still good yeah we're good okay cool so, I guess we'll just start over here. We got Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Horror. Yeah. Universal Frankenstein. A what? Yeah. Universal Frankenstein. What did you? Movies. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting to do. Okay. okay we put sure. that on. It's on the wheel. Back to I the have future. watched all of those. Wow. You have to watch them I've again. actually watched every single Universal monster movie, so I'm going to be... I'm going to be a hashtag expert on that one. Not really. I just watched them. I didn't look up a bunch of shit about them. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Back to the future. Ooh, that'd be a quick one. Good. 
Uh, Resident Evil, and I have in quote, I have in like brackets, fuck, right underneath it. Oh god. Oh shit. Oh fuck. Number. Remember, <laughs> two episodes ago, I made the prediction that that's what we're gonna spin. That's right. Yeah. Um, I hope well. God not. Godfather. I'd rather spin that, for example. Uh, oh well, yeah. No shit. Yeah, a little bit better than Resident Evil. Yes. Fast and the Furious. Psycho. Yeah. All right. Mummy slash Scorpion King. Oh, that'd be a pretty bad one to get. All right. Uh, Mad Max. Five Scorpion King movies. Mad Max would be good. Yeah. Ip Man, which would also be really good. Those are great movies. Oh, yeah. I'd be all right with that. Uh, Mission Impossible. Okay. And lastly, Planet of the Apes. All right. Lay it on me, Justin. What's our fate? All right. Spinning. I get, oh, I get, that's a good spin. This, this sucker's going. I can't hear it, but I'll just I'll go in spirit. Okay, thank you. Also, don't oh, forget no, to put rattle no, me bones no. in. Rattle me bones! Welcome aboard, mateys. Rattle me bones, rattle me bones. Take what he will, but don't rattle me bones! Spin the wheel for the treasure to take. Careful, my friend, or he'll rattle it. Shake it. Rattle me bones. Turn the lights low, there's a frightening blue. But don't rattle me bones! Rattle me, rattle me, rattle me bones. You can use your skill to take what you will. You can take your pill, but don't rattle me bones. Battery sold separately from ideal. Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. Sick. Awesome. This is almost like a year to the date after we did uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of fun. We're going I the opposite am way. very okay with this. It's funny. I just got done watching most of these films with my girlfriend recently, but I didn't, we didn't watch the last couple, so... Yeah. All right. So how many how many are there? Let me think here. There's like there's like one, two, three, four, five, six. And then there's new nightmare. And then like, do we do Freddy versus Jason again? No, I no, vote don't know. I already know how I feel about no, it. We don't watch that again. Um, I, I suppose we can rank it early because we know how we feel about it. Right. Um, and and then and then there's a remake. Right. And that's it. Yep. Not a, okay. not a terribly long one. Yeah, we'll get into that next week. Fun. I'm looking forward to watching horror movies again. That's yeah. some of the funnest stuff to watch on here. Yeah, definitely. It'll be, it'll be a good return. And I'm sure there's a lot of terrible nonsense uh, factoids I can find out about these movies oh, and sure. how there are how they kept making them. <laughs> Those are always fun. Uh huh. All, All right. right. Hype. Cool. Right, Summer well, uh, slasher time. Yep. Yeah. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye, uh, everybody. Okay, bye. Uh, Miyazaki good, Snyder bad. Bye. Right, right, yeah.